I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling Mm. fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we produce a music video about the episode of NXT that originally aired on June 5th, 2014. Well, no, we don't really, but maybe that could be a Patreon goal someday? No, never. (laughs) In this episode, Summer Rae returns, Adrian Neville defends his championship for the second week in a row, but most importantly, we get an extended cut of Bo Dallas's goodbye to the NXT universe. Amen. The fact that this entire thing wasn't shown at the time it happened is a goddamned crime. Hard agree. to episode 55 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we covered the very first NXT TakeOver alongside Dan Mulcairin, and it was such a good time. Mm-hmm. And y'all wouldn't have any way of knowing this because we record so much of our stuff in advance, but Bob and I took a little break for a few weeks after TakeOver, uh, just to recharge our batteries a little bit and kind of get our lives in order. <laughs> <laughs> Do adulting things. Ugh. That's right. But now we're back and we are ready to jump headfirst into what really feels to me like a new era of NXT. And it's one of the eras I'm most excited to cover. So I can't wait to start doing that today in Bob's Breakdown. After that, it will, of course, be time for the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. And since it's an episode that ends in zero or five... We have another installment of Women's Wrestling History of the Week for you, followed by the latest edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. And uh, since we had a guest last episode, there are no Cheap Pop Quiz answers to go over. So, Bob, let's just get into it. Give us Bob's Breakdown. We get a recap of TakeOver, and crucially, we get some post-match backstage and interview drums. Basically, Tyson Kidd is pissed about losing and has walked away in a huff from an interview and from Natalia. Yeah, he's not happy. The commentary team for this episode is Tom Phillips, William Regal, and Byron Saxton. It's not bad. Could be worse. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, yes, it could be a lot worse. It's William Regal, so it's, it has a floor, you know, it has a pretty high floor. I like Tom Phillips. I like Tom, too. It's Byron that I have a problem with. Byron did a thing in this episode that I very much appreciated, which we will get to. (laughs) Match one, Mojo Raleigh versus Aiden English. Aiden English sings a ditty that I didn't recognize about how Raleigh failed the U.S. by being smacked around by Rusev. Fair enough. Yeah, I wasn't sure what that one was based on. Yeah, I could not pin it down. English is able to take control and tries for some pins before applying a headlock. I mean, like, right, let us pretend that this is the reason that Raleigh has no momentum. Okay. (laughs) English flings Raleigh into the corner, and when he goes to the middle ropes to give Raleigh a vigorous beatdown, Raleigh shoves English so hard that he bounces off the canvas to land in little heap. Raleigh finds his misplaced hypeness and finishes him off with a butt dunk and a pin. I cannot 
fucking believe that they are seriously doing this. They have wasted English. And for what? For this bullshittery. Like, stop pushing Mojo Raleigh. I feel like a toddler being forced to eat. I don't know. What does your toddler hate eating? God, I don't even know. He likes most food. I guess, like, green stuff he's not super into. Okay, a toddler being forced to eat spinach. As a child, I hated mashed potatoes, which is very weird for a child. Rowan is, 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 he can be picky, but it's not consistent. Like, something he loved yesterday, he doesn't want today, and then the vice versa. Like, so who knows? I get that. You know what? Same, Rowan, same. The only thing that he consistently loves is mac and cheese. Well, he's only human. Right. So commentary throws us to the clip of Tyson walking away from a Paul Heyman post-match interview, although more of a post-match ambush, (laughs) and blowing past Natalia. Cut to Natalia being interviewed. Because women are responsible for the emotional management of men is the subtext Mm. of this. Mm -hmm. She says that she thinks he did an amazing job and she'll always have his back. And that is as much as she's willing to say. And I was kind of like, oh, that's nice. Because what you don't want is to just go on camera and go, you'll never believe the fight we had in the car. (laughs) Like, oof. I do like that her vibe in this case is kind of like, I really can't believe you're asking me this question on camera. Yeah, I appreciate that. It made me feel like like I would want to be married to Natalia. And I was like, yeah, big wife energy. Yeah. So we get a brief spotlight of the NXT superstars doing some Special Olympic stuff and hanging out with Special Olympians in the training facility. And then match number two, Bailey comes out and gives her headband to one of the Special Olympians. And that was really lovely. She's the best. Bailey is. Charlotte comes out, hands off her belt to Sasha. We get one second of Sasha holding the belt a little bit reverently. And I was like, we have one second of foreshadowing. I noticed that someday. (laughs) Yeah, someday this is going to come to a head and it won't be pretty. It's not even a second, really. It's like just a little flash where Sasha's like, this kind of feels good in my hand. Yeah. And I noticed it on the second watch and was going, oh. Camera work was on point. They were paying attention to the beats that this needs to have. You need to have that one flicker. The bell goes and the crowd is chanting for Bailey. Obvs, Charlotte has to win this. Like she just got that belt and they're not going to let her lose. And I do have questions, but first, they lock up and it's all very evenly matched and high energy action. Bailey comes at Charlotte for an arm drag from off the ropes. Charlotte comes back at her and gets tripped by Bailey, who does break dancing. She's spinning. Belly down on Charlotte's upper back like she's going to apply a hold, but just isn't sure what body part to go for and keeps trying to find one. Philip says it's like she got caught in a slip and slide and then stops to mansplain what a slip and slide is, assuming that William Regal doesn't know what one is. And I was not sure if that's true. So I Googled and you can buy one on Argos for your 18 of your finest pounds. So I was like, oh, you can get a you can get a slip and slide in the UK and Ireland these days. It's amazing what the internet has brought to us. Bailey picks the arm, which I guess was the wrong call because Charlotte gets out and gains momentum doing a mocking version of the slip and slide to poor scoring from the Olympic slip and slide judges because <laughs> Phillips deems it, quote, not as refined. <laughs> Charlotte gets in that figure four thing to the head and somersaults with Bailey attached, which always looks amazing. Bailey bounces back and body checks Charlotte, then comes for Sasha, who's giving attitude. And she comes at Sasha through the ropes, kind of like a cat trying to slide through the blinds. Bailey biffs it, lands hard on the apron, but Bailey decks Sasha, so that's good enough. Charlotte has just gotten momentum back 
and Summer Rae's new music hits. And Charlotte is almost pinned with a backslide, but comes back with her move, bow down to the queen, takes out Bailey. And then Summer Rae gets in the ring as if to say, I am also in this group, starts beating up on Bailey. So now all of them are kicking Bailey for just one second until Emma and Paige run out to break it up. And I predict a trios match in our future. Mm, you predict correctly. It just seems like, why would you do a thing with three people and three people if you're not going to yeah. have a trios match? <laughs> yeah. Now, Miles, once someone new has the belt, how quickly do narratives fall in place around it? Or are you allowed to just sort of fuck around and be champion without any special narrative weight to your doings for a while? Or do you need to be in a feud or developing your reign and what your reign is like? You know, it depends on the champion. I mean, really, every reign is different and every reign is defined by the individual characteristics of the person holding the title and, you know, which title it is and what the situation is in the company. Like, it's just there's so many factors and variables that go into how you book a championship run. And I don't know that there's any, like, prescriptive, like, well, when you have a new person win the belt, you should do it this way. You know what I mean? I think right now what they're doing is they are recognizing that Charlotte, in some ways, was kind of an out-of-nowhere champion. Like, Mm -hmm. she wasn't really doing much before she won the title. You know, we talked a lot about how she was gone a lot of the time, and it was just Sasha and Summer and the BFFs for a decent amount of time before Summer left, and it was just Sasha and Charlotte. So she really just kind of showed up, was here for a little while, and then all of a sudden she's in the title picture, and hey, look, she's champion, and turns out she's really good at wrestling. So I think what they're doing here with her is... They're recognizing that she had a thing with Bailey that was never properly resolved. So we're kind of doing some more of that. And then they're also doing this thing with Summer coming back. I think that is intentionally without revealing, you know, where it goes. Mm -hmm. I think the thing with Summer is a recognition that the BFFs technically have a leader and it's not Charlotte. So they need to resolve that conflict. They're getting Summer back for a little while. I don't even remember how long, but Charlotte has to be established somehow as the person in this group. So um, that's the kind of work I think they're doing right now. And as you can see, it kind of the two things kind of feed into each other. And they're also going to be going to start establishing um, some new contenders to Charlotte's title because she can't just wrestle, you know, well, and I'm thinking about how many people they have in their women's division. And it is a small swimming pool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, like, she can't really feud with Sasha because they're a team. So it's Bailey, Emma, uh, Alexa Bliss, I guess. Yeah. You know, like, it's really Natalia. Really, Natalia, sure. So it's like, but even Natalia is, like, over here doing this Tyson Kidd thing. So she's kind of busy. Th- that's basically what I think they're doing. I think they're kind of trying to work out some of the some of the storytelling kinks that need to be worked out because they put the belt on her so early and at the same time i think we're we're trying to go back to okay here's bailey here's emma these are the women that charlotte is going to be fighting in the foreseeable future backstage jason jordan and ty dillinger and they're just singing their names together (laughs) boom 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 uh jj is the brains in this pairing methinks (laughs) We may come back to this, but Ty Dillinger is precious. Oh, we will definitely come back to this. (laughs) And he is a dumb baby. So (laughs) we get an ad for the WWE shop. Miles, tell me about your first piece of wrestling merch. Mine was a best friend's shirt, surprising no one. It was a Christmas gift. 
And it is the one with Chuck and Trent as two dogs. And they're smooching Orange Cassidy, who's a cat with sunglasses. Aw, that's very sweet. As I recall, and I don't even totally remember how I got this shirt. (laughs) I think it might have been at, and actually, you know what? I'm pretty sure it was at a thrift store. As I recall, I found this shirt at a thrift store. And it was an NWO for life shirt. Whoa. And I wasn't even like particularly into the NWO, but I had gotten into wrestling over the last couple of years and I saw a wrestling shirt at a thrift store and I bought it. I don't know what happened to it. I do know that when I went to college, my first attempt at college of many, one of which was successful, when I went to college. That's all that matters is the time that you get out and you get the thing. Yeah, I was I found myself in a math class and another person in the class recognized the shirt, came over to me to like compliment me on it. We did the whole like, you know, fucking thing the Bullet Club do now, the too sweet because the NWO did that first. (laughs) Um, That person is now my dear friend, Eric Meyer, who I have podcasted with before and who I very much hope to have on this show sometime. And and we've known each other now for more than 15 years. So, oh, my goodness. Great work, NWO shirt. It was your meet cute shirt. It was. Yeah, it was our friendship meet cute. That's adorable. All right. Package on the Ascension and their destruction of El Local and Callisto, which I think is to prep us for match three, which is a tag team match that doesn't have the Ascension. What? I know. We didn't think such a thing existed, but it actually does. How would you even do that? Uh, look, scientists are even now working on this problem. <laughs> Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger... Enter to fight two jobbers. Ah, some things never change. Jordan and Dillinger have matching gear, so we know that they're together officially. They are fighting jobber number one and jobber number two. I will tell you their names, but these names are out of a fucking Charles Dickens, Jane Austen (laughs) mashup novel. What the actual fuck? Miles, do you remember their names? Because I hope you don't. I do, actually. Ah, shit. Wait, I'm pretty sure. Hang on. Is it? No, don't say them yet. Oh, okay. So I visited a Dickens name generator, and I just wanted to share some of these names. And the names of these two jobbers are buried in there. But I wanted to share and say, we are very close to just using these as NXT name generators because they're so fucking close. Seriously. Marius Bruntlock. (laughs) Will Castleton, uh-huh. Philip Gouljar, right. Landon Armingly, hmm? Joss Beckelfield, Virgilius yes. Meatborn, yes. Stuart Cumberland, and Damian Gerard. These wow. are fucking NXT names. If I didn't okay. know, if I didn't know which two they were, I would have had a hard time picking them out of that lineup. I think the only one you can rule out immediately is Virgilius Meatborn. Anyway, it is Philip Gouljar. And Stuart Cumberland. There just wasn't any way I was going to forget those names because like, how could you? Not not only can you not forget those names, but the commentary spends the entire match making fun of them. So I I don't think it was making fun of. I think commentary were in fucking love with these names and were like, I have never had so much fun with my mouth before. I am just <laughs> delighting in these phonemes. Bob, I have a question for you. Do you recognize by chance either of these jobbers from? elsewhere do but only because neil copped to it first and recognized stuart cumberland yep and i happen to know that i believe stuart cumberland 
who has a different name at AEW, he does. is dating Bailey. Really? Oh, yeah, no, that's right. So. Yeah, that's right. I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Is Aaron Solo, right? Yes, Aaron Solo with a beautiful turquoise streak in his hair and is very, very good in the ring. Oh, apparently they're not together anymore. I just found a news story from February that says they ended their engagement. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, maybe it was for a good reason, and I hope they're both happy and that everything is fine. Yeah. The bell goes. Cumberland and Jordan start off doing some very, very credible grapples. The credibility is further helped by the fact that Jason Jordan can just bodily lift Cumberland and carry him to their corner to tag in Dillinger. He's fucking amazing. He is. They get in a bit of chopsy-chop-chop war. Uh, Gouljar is tagged in and gets butterfly suplexed. Nicely done, Bob. That was a butterfly suplex. But let us not misreport these happenings, gentle readers. A butterfly suplex is hella intense, and I dare say, Mr. Gouljar may be missing several balls this season as a result of these sorts of (laughs) carry-on. That's, that's, is, is, that, is that what Lady Whistledown had to say about this match? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. Uh, you know what? From now on, one of the matches is going to be Lady Whistledown's match. One oh. match out of every breakdown is Lady Whistledown. Okay, I'm here for it. I'm yeah, here me for too. It. I'm like <laughs> hyper for this. New segment invented live on the show. You heard it here first. Lady Whistledown's match report. Jordan is tagged in and leaps a solid five feet into the air to bring a knee to Mr. Gouljar. I am sorry. In this novel, he is clearly Reverend Gouljar. Like, I... (laughs) That's just who he is? I don't know. I get some real Mr. Collins vibes from him. I know, but like, I I don't hate him the way I hate Mr. Collins. (laughs) Well, you haven't got to know him properly. Oh, no. Well, Jordan also throws Gouljar a terrifying height into the air and then does the JJ slam, pins him, and it's all over. But the writing lengthy letters to one another commenting on how the weather is unbearably chill and wryly humorous observations about the village fate. In the audience, C.J. Parker has a sign that says, May the forest be with you. And also with you. Backstage, Summer Rae is back and the other members of the BFFs aren't stoked about it. She holds up the sign that is the little popsicle head and says, You don't need this anymore because I'm back. Ha! And prances off. That's what she thinks, mutters Charlotte. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. I know, we'll be seeing more of this. So Tyler Breeze is here to premiere his music video. He dunks on Sammy Zayn via Seth Rogen, which the NXT audience has feelings about. <laughs> Cue the music video. It's just Tyler Breeze in the recording studio being shot from various angles with some post-production effects and then intercut with him getting photographed in front of a plane backdrop. The audience has strong feelings, but they're mixed. Some, this is awesome. Some, no. I didn't hate watching it. I was delighted by it. It was not what I expected. I thought whenever they said music video, I was getting a music video. Like a high budget, like, yeah. Or at least an attempt at something. Because... Like Cameron Grimes on current NXT recently had a music video and it was a legit kind of music video. Absolutely. And I can see that NXT is in the community theater stages of its budget at the moment. (laughs) Yes. And I think I had forgotten that fact and momentarily lived in a wonderland (laughs) where they had a high budget and then went, oh, okay. Right. 
So, Miles, tell me a bit about the history of wrestling and music videos, if you would, please. Is this just a regular thing that happens, you know, once a year, somebody in wrestling does a music video or something? No, I honestly couldn't find that much about this, to be honest. Like, wrestling and music videos are don't have a strong relationship, at least not in terms of, like, a performer coming out and being like, look at my music video. Like, wrestlers have been in music videos, many of them over the years, often to great historical impact. Obviously, the most notable one being when Captain Lou Albano was in Cyndi Lauper's music video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And that essentially led to wrestling as we know it today. So there's a long history of, like, wrestlers and wrestling personae being involved in music videos. And of course, like, you know, the little Titantron things that play as you're coming down for your entrance are kind of little mini music videos in Mm -hmm. themselves. But in terms of like the Cameron Grimes thing or like, you know, the Tyler Breeze thing where it's like, let's just listen to his theme song and watch a video of him recording his theme song. Not a whole lot of examples throughout wrestling history that I could find. That's really weird to me, given the love that wrestling has for integrating different kinds of performance art into it. It seems like a missed opportunity in some way. I think they generally just prefer the video package as a medium, Mm. which is often set to music. So like they'll have these kind of like musical montages. That's a huge part of wrestling. But an actual music video as Breeze presents here just doesn't happen in wrestling very often for whatever reason. At least, again, that I could find. I did a little bit of digging into this. I'm thinking about current wrestling and AEW has the acclaimed, which I have strong feelings about. They do music videos periodically as a form of mockery because their gimmick is music related. If your gimmick is related to music, it would make sense. So it's interesting that Breeze has one, but Aiden English doesn't. I don't know if like the Honky Tonk Man ever did. I'm trying to think of like musical gimmicks over the years like yeah has elias not ever done one i don't think so i really don't think he has i could be wrong about that but that's wild well fair enough i don't know i'm not an elias scholar (laughs) i'm not necessarily the uh not a glutton for punishment huh the most enthusiastic connoisseur of that man's body of work (laughs) so match number four justin the dreamboat gabriel he just looks like the sexiest little werewolf man. Like, he, I bet yeah. I could probably pick him up. I don't think he's that big. But <laughs> Neville is also very cute. I want to say, go on record, Neville is adorable. But yes. like, Gabriel's just, he's, he's very pretty. Miles, what are we doing here? Commentary emphasizes the point that this match is, in many ways, a repeat of the Tyson Kidd match because they're both high flyers, they're both faces. Is it okay to have matches that similar close together, or do you really need to give the audience someone to boo at? Because what are we doing? I don't know. Fair enough. (laughs) I don't know what we're doing with this one. Uh, It's very weird to me that we follow up TakeOver with Adrian Neville engaging in a no disqualification championship match. That stipulation never comes into play. It comes into play so little that I forgot it was a no DQ match. It's a no DQ match that never that nobody ever even tries to break into rules, which I don't think is the first time that's happened on NXT. But um, it's just weird. It's just weird. I, I legitimately think they just wanted Neville to wrestle somebody so that Tyson could interrupt him at the end. I think maybe they were wary about having him wrestle a heel because 
they still wanted to do this thing with Tyson and they didn't want to make anybody think they were setting something up between like mm, Neville and somebody else. Okay. That's, that's my only guess. I have no idea why this patch is happening or what Justin Gabriel did to earn a championship shot. Yeah. Uh, although now you've introduced the possibility into my life that I can just put no DQ in front of anything I'm doing and not introduce that <laughs> stipulation at all into what I'm doing, but use it nonetheless to create buzz about it. I'm going to take my car to get serviced and it's going to be a no DQ service. Yeah. You and go then, on Twitter and tell everybody that you're about to engage in a no DQ session of podcast editing. Yeah, absolutely. And just like try to create buzz around it. Maybe see if I can, you know, get Neil to do something that I'm like, <laughs> Oh man, I don't want to do that household chore. Can I make it a no DQ version of that and create buy-in from the audience? <laughs> It's going to be no DQ emptying the dishwasher. <laughs> oh, my, oh God, my now goodness. I want to watch it. Yeah, I'm going to fold the laundry. It's going to be no DQ. Break part of my furniture in the process or just not break any of it and be like, well, it's no DQ, you know. <laughs> Never know what will happen. Get a ladder match laundry folding and not use uh, the ladders at all. Never know what will happen. Anything could happen, including nothing. Nothing is yes. a thing that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> just use it to spice up your life people that's right. no dq whatever fill in the blank my self-help book about this will be out shortly available now <laughs> at fine bookshelves do you the match does have a lot of really gorgeous back and forth yeah it's, it's fun it is it's super fun we go to commercial come back to find neville on the ropes taking a kicking from gabriel Gabriel shows off a brutal looking hold, forcing both arms straight behind Neville. I, it's sort of like a full Nelson, but if you're trying to rip someone's rotator cuff rather than mess up their neck, Neville comes out of it and is able to do that missile drop kick that he does where he's just like, I don't care how hard I land as long as I take you out in the process. Neville tries for a submission where you sort of koala onto someone's front and then lock their head under your arm. But Gabriel turns it into a suplex and he does an effortless springboard moonsault like it's just nothing at all it yeah. was almost more effortless than adrian neville's it had more Sami Zayn to it than adrian neville a little bit less precision and a little bit more like i'm just doing this because i don't care gabriel is actually like an interesting mix of the two styles in a way he is oh my god he's their baby what <laughs> he's their baby from the future still waiting for your fanfic bub Oh, man. I know. I have a million fanfics I haven't written. I have one I haven't touched since 2015 that I have to finish someday or Marissa will kill me. But I don't know if I'm ever <laughs> going to finish it. But if I say that, Marissa will find me and hunt yeah, me down. Yeah, you can't. We'll have to get that out. because. So it's in progress, dot, 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 forever. So in a fucking amazing moment, Neville springs off the middle rope to take down Gabriel, who responds with a drop kick. So they just meet in the middle and crash the mat. Timing, chef kiss. Mm. Gabriel goes for a high-flying move, but Neville rolls out of the way and responds with the red arrow and takes the win. Two things. Justin Gabriel is more fun to watch than Tyson Kidd, and I don't know why, but he just is. No, he definitely is. Do you know why? Is it that Sami Zayn energy that's like, anything could happen? This man could just, like, fly into outer space, and we would be like, yeah, that checks out. Yeah, I think Tyson is, is just a little bit more... um. A little bit more Matt Wrestley. I like watching Tyson Kidd wrestle. Don't get me wrong. I really do enjoy Tyson Kidd's work. I just think that Gabriel is more exciting a lot of the time. He is. Secondly, why is Justin Gabriel not crazy famous? Or is he actually crazy famous and I just don't know? Because I've seen him no. on Lucha Underground. 
Yeah, but that's the, the being on Lucha Underground does not make you crazy famous. And he wasn't even like, you know, he's all on Lucha Underground, but he's not like big on Lucha Underground. Yeah, he's not Penta. Um, no, he's not famous at all. I, I, why? I, I don't really know. Again, I think we've talked about this before. My suspicion is that uh, he might be more famous in wrestling if he did not insist on jumping off of high things and breaking his legs. Oh, he's he, he is a daredevil in real life. So he he's is too expensive injured. to insure. Yeah, he's very injured. Uh, he's frequently injured because of recreationally. His, his, yes, recreationally. He recreationally hurts himself. Jeez, Justin Gabriel, I get you got to live that life. But like, I want to watch you wrestle. Where do you know where he is now? Are we going to find that out someday? We'll find that out when we ring the bell for him. Yeah. Okay. Kid's music hits and he comes to apologize and ask for another chance at the championship and Neville accepts because he's very lovely and generous like that. I cherish the kind of fighting champion that Neville is, but I was curious, are all baby faces fighting champions? Because if you're not a fighting champion, you're like a Johnny Gargano or whatever. You're like avoiding everything or or you're, I don't know, a Bo Dallas. You're just constantly avoiding any attempt to take your belt from you. Do you have to be a fighting champion if you're a babyface? Kinda, yeah. I'm sure there have been examples of babyface champions who who will do things like, hey, like, look, I don't have to fight you. You haven't earned anything yet. You know, some like really cocky champion mm. who kind of rides the line on, on the babyface side could mm-hmm. get away with that. But for the most part, if you're a babyface champion, you fight whoever steps up to fight you because that's because you're a babyface and that's what heroes do. That and other things. <laughs> Heroes never turn down the chance to wallop somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, or go down on somebody. hey All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. How did you find this episode overall? You know, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty darn good. Had some fun matches to watch. Nothing happened. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the points were made up and nothing mattered, but... It was still fun to see it because the wrestling was good. I got to see Justin Gabriel do some cool shit. I got to see Bailey and Charlotte put on a good match. I got to see this tag team action that I was really delighted by. I mean, it was fun. It was fun wrestling. And I watch like dumb squash matches all the time (laughs) because I'm (laughs) dumb. And I enjoy a match that's nothing. That's just there to be an exhibition of talent rather than anything else. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, with that, let's get into the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Megan, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? I saw a sign, Miles, and I do not know what it means. Okay. Don't be a dummy. Put Slate Randall on TV. Slate Randall. Hang on. See, Googling. I was waiting for you to go. Oh, I definitely know who that was. I've no. Oh, wow. Really? OK, so Slate Randall, more popularly known as Eli Drake, but currently known in NXT as L.A. Knight. Oh, <gasps> uh, what? He was uh, a jobber. He was an NXT jobber that never made it on TV. As, I, unless he did. Hang on. Shoot, now I have to look. Why, this is blowing my mind right now. I didn't even see that fucking sign. Hang it was on. right at the very beginning. Like the show hadn't even started. They were just panning through the crowd. I want to see if he ever made it on NXT television. If we're ever going to see him as Slate Randall. Yeah, no, no, we will never. The request of that sign holder went unfulfilled. Sadly, Slate Randall was never on television. 
But that is who is being referred to. All right. If you have not seen L.A. Knight cut a promo, he is currently in NXT and he is very, very good. He's very hateable, but he's very, very good. And it's annoying. I'm not a huge fan, but I appreciate his skills. It would be bad to be a fan of what he's doing. I feel like it would be a sign that you liked, you know, NFTs or something. (laughs) <laughs> i'm not a huge fan of watching him wrestle but um mm. a lot, a lot of people right. like him and i respect that miles what did your elf i see i just saw bailey's reaction to and relationships with Paige and emma when they came down to save her because yeah uh, when Paige is like cradling her head after they run off the bffs bailey is like looking up at her adoringly like oh my god Paige saved me the page oh <laughs> and then in contrast when they all do the thing where they grab each other's hands and hold them up, like to end the segment, Emma doesn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and Bailey has to grab her wrist and hold it up for her because she like fucks it up. And it's like, yeah, Emma doesn't really care about being here. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't Emma's scene. Oh my gosh, it's so true. Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? There was a lot on there commentary. There was a lot. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with Byron Saxton. Why do I feel like everyone is ignoring me tonight? Tom Phillips. Eh. (laughs) Byron Saxton. Eh. That's all you got for me? And I was like, I loved that Byron Saxton was out here going, I can't believe this is happening. And Tom Phillips was like, eh, you know, who cares? (laughs) Like... Damn, Tom Phillips. That was fucking savage. And then Regal tells the terrible doctor joke where he's like, I went to see the doctor and I had to tell him I was invisible. The doctor said, next patient. Yes. Oh, my God. Fucking dad shit. Oh, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Well, more William Regal, unsurprisingly. So at the very beginning of the episode, before the first match, in fact, Brandy Rhodes announces that uh, Tyler Breeze has entered the building. And Regal reacts to this with great enthusiasm, saying that Tyler Breeze has entered the building and looks like a beautiful dandy, as he always does. <laughs> At which point, I think Byron asks him how he could possibly know what Tyler Breeze looks like because he just entered the building. To which Regal replies, I've got spies everywhere. Oh my god, I wrote that down too. I thought that was so fucking great. I like the idea that this in-ring persona of his, or sorry, this on-commentary persona of his, that he is the kind of person who's like, of course I have spies. And I'm like, yeah. actually, I believe that. Actually, I run this place. I might not be general manager yet, but I totally run this place. Regal's the best. Bob, what did your human heart feel for this episode? Honestly, Philip Gouljar. Wow. <laughs> like, Philip Gouljar, huh? He came out here and he left it all on the mat, took an ugly ass fall. Yeah, he did. I was like, oh, honey, that shoulder is going to be fucked. Yeah, he committed to his moves and the commentary kept putting him over. Like, I I think just because they liked saying the name, but it worked. And so I guess I'm team Gouljar now. Okay, we'll keep that in mind for his future appearance. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to stay on team Gouljar, but for today, cautiously team Gouljar. So, Miles, what did your human heart feel? On the other side of the ring from Philip Gouljar, I had a lot of feelings about Jason Jordan and Ty oh, Dillinger yeah. in this episode. I suspect you did too, Bob, so I'll let you get some thoughts out there. But for me, just knowing 
about future NXT storylines and continuity. I just have so many feelings for Jason Jordan. I have feelings for Jason Jordan in general, mm-hmm. but like, but knowing just about what happens with him and his sort of like ceaseless quest for a tag team partner who doesn't make him want to kill himself from embarrassment. <laughs> and then later he even finishes the match, the fucking angle slam. And later they're going to do the storyline, the ill-conceived storyline where he's Kurt Angle's illegitimate son. So <laughs> like, Beautiful. there's, there's a ton of stuff with Jason Jordan that just made my heart light up. I love him so much. I miss him so much. I was so in love with their little backstage segment where they do boom, boom, boom. And then Jason Jordan says his name. And then Ty Dillinger says his full name, which is like Tyson Ulysses Frederick Dillinger Third. Yeah. And he tries to say it. And Jason Jordan's like, what are you doing? And <laughs> that's not what we discussed. Ty Dillinger says, that's my name. My mom gave it to me. And I was like, that line is so fucking good and so stupid. I'm like, I'm stealing that for garden plots. If that shows up in garden <laughs> plots, great artist steal, blah, blah, blah. So there uh, you, go. you know why? I don't know. I just like even during the match, like the fact that Dillinger was the one who because like the jobbers actually get the upper hand at one point in this match. This yeah. match is a five, full five minutes. And it's Dillinger they get the upper hand on, and it's, J- it's Jordan who wins the match. And it's just like Jason Jordan, even as far back as June 2014. Oh, God, I'm stuck with this guy? All right, fine, fine. I guess I'll, I'll make it work. <laughs> I love it. It's cute. It is. He is also quite adorable. He is. Yeah, all right. Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Uh, we're going to get into some women's wrestling history of the week in just a minute here. But first, I believe Bob has a fanfic to share with us, explaining the wrestling move of the week from two episodes ago, which was figure four. Thank you to David Waters and Johnny Keelman for these character suggestions. Joe Bluth had momentum in the ring. <laughs> Against Beast, no less? A feat that was puzzling both to Bluth and Beast, whose blue fur was rumpled from the tussling. The audience booed as Bluth speared Beast into the corner. Beast let out an oof in a week. Oh my. Well, to be fair, he did just wrestle Juggernaut in our pay-per-view last Sunday. He's gotta still be reeling from that fight. Yeah, but he's one of the most dominant competitors in this promotion. It would be a real upset for Bluth to take the victory here, the commentary team said. I can hear you! Joe Bluth yelled from the (laughs) ring as he did a sloppy Hurricane Rana on Beast, probably because he was trying to pull colorful scarves from his cuffs at the same time. Uh, but his victory over Winnie the Pooh last week is certainly nothing to, um, discount, commentary added. That's more like it! Beast lay prone on the mat. Job flourished his hands and brought out a deck of cards, shuffling them and preparing to accost the audience with close-up magic. The audience hissed and recoiled, breaking into cheers when Beast gave Bluth a forearm to the back of the knee, sending him spilling to the mat and the cards fluttering everywhere. Oh, a Philistine, I get it. You don't appreciate the craft of magic. Well, maybe (laughs) you'll appreciate this! He crowed as he applied a figure for a leg lock, sitting on the mat and grinning maniacally. Feel that? That's the Bluth banana split, because you feel like your muscles are gonna split from your bones! (laughs) Beast grimaced but looked puzzled at Job's cockiness as he slowly turned the two of them over so the move was reversed and locking in Job, who howled, Who told you the secret? (laughs) Beast bent deeper into the figure four. 
uh, well, really no one. Human anatomy is simple enough to grasp. So are you tapping or shall we just remain like this? I'm free for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> Job pressed his face to the mat, hand trembling above it. Wait, don't tap yet. Ahem. <clears throat> A feat with my feet could lead to your defeat. Beast grinned proudly. The audience began <laughs> chanting, Stars and garters! <laughs> Job grimaced. This is a leg lock, it's not even a feet thing! <laughs> yes, well, I, I don't have a quip ready for every occasion. Amateur! Patter is the secret to any stage show! Job growled, <laughs> tapping the mat in submission. I'll keep that in mind. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to hit the showers. It's deep conditioning day, and as you might imagine... It's a rather involved affair. <laughs> you okay there? That's the best one you've ever done. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, that was glorious. Thank you so much for that fanfic, Bob. You are so very welcome. Oh, my God. Okay, well, uh, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. It is now time for Wrestling History of the Week, and this is, I believe, part eight of uh, my women's wrestling history segment, uh, as told, as always, primarily through the lens of the history of WrestleMania. Uh, this is the, I believe, this is going to be the penultimate one. So, oh goodness, uh, we are we are almost to the end of of this thing, but still have to still have to get through some shit that. We don't like talking about. So okay. You might recall that last time uh, we talked about Trish Stratus and how Trish uh, was simultaneously treated as a sex object and kind of leaned into that, uh, but also almost by accident became one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. And we also talked about her kind of stable of cohorts in the division right around the time of 2001 when the invasion angle was coming to an end. Uh, Lita, Molly Holly, Jacqueline Ivory, and Jazz. So uh, we are now going to continue that history here. For all that Trish Stratus's tenure as the ace of the WWE women's division is fondly remembered today, it's impossible to look back and ignore the numerous signs of inevitable decline. For one thing, even as the women's division was theoretically growing, that growth couldn't keep up with the rate of roster decay. The women's championship match contested at WrestleMania 18 featured Stratus, Lita, and Jazz, who should all be considered wrestling legends. But it was Lita's final WrestleMania match. As previously mentioned, she was hit hard and frequently by injuries, and the later stages of her career were defined almost entirely by her managerial and romantic relationships with men. And the second-to-last WrestleMania for Jazz, who would leave the company a few months after competing against Stratus in another triple threat for the title at WrestleMania 19. Now, the third woman in that match was a newcomer, a former bodybuilder and fitness model named Victoria, who was pushed into a feud with Stratus immediately upon her debut and would go on to defeat Molly Holly for the women's championship at WrestleMania 20. And according to the stipulation, shaved Molly's head after the match because WWE is obsessed with humiliating its female performers. Oh my god. Uh, But then Molly left the company too, as did Ivory and Jacqueline Moore. Before her departure, Molly helped a promising submission specialist named Gail Kim get a job in WWE, and she won the Women's Championship in her very first match on Raw in 2003, and they fired her a year later. Uh, 
In an interview shortly after her release, Kim claimed that she was surprised by the firing and that WWE management told her that they wanted to go in a different direction with the women's division. Okay. In 2004, WWE kicked off the first recognizable incarnation of the Diva Search, a competition that took place in segments on Raw in which aspiring WWE divas would engage in games and contests to try and win a contract with the company, similar to Tough Enough, similar to NXT in its original form. These contests included numerous highly suggestive activities, as well as reality TV standbys like, for example, trash-talking one another. As with all WWE reality TV facsimiles, it didn't really matter who won, at least not that first year, six women from the first Diva Search ended up getting hired and put on television. Of those six, four would end up having significant WWE careers. Candice Michelle, Michelle McCool, Maria Kanellis, and the winner... Christy Hemi, who wrestled Stratus for the Women's Championship at WrestleMania 21 in a match that is best forgotten. Oh. It's not that these women were necessarily terrible wrestlers. Indeed, the quality of their in-ring work was entirely beside the point. Candice Michelle, for example, was a pretty decent wrestler by the end of her five-year WWE run, but that wasn't why WWE paid her. They paid her because she was the GoDaddy girl from the Super Bowl commercials. Mm. Hemi got her WrestleMania match, but not until after she posed for Playboy. In fact, her feud with Stratus was built around Stratus being jealous of Hemi for the Playboy shoot and viciously slut-shaming her. The new version of the women's division WWE was slowly starting to build was one that rewarded performers, as always, for being conventionally attractive and willing to take off their clothes. If they could put on a good match, that was a bonus. But Vince's dream of an all-supermodel women's division couldn't come to fruition while Stratus was on top. By this point, she wasn't just Trish Stratus. She was Trish Stratus. You know, we talked before about how her in-ring ability was also incidental. She was also hired and paid because she was beautiful and willing to take off her clothes. But by the time we get to 2004, 2005, she was also expected to have phenomenal matches. That was a thing you expected from Trish Stratus. And for that, she needed quality opponents. One such opponent arrived in late 2005, and she is an instructive case study in the de-evolution of the division. Alexis Lurie began wrestling on the independent circuit when she was 20 years old and spent the first half of the aughts making a name for herself in companies like Total Nonstop Action Wrestling and Ring of Honor. At a time when the indies were even less friendly to women than WWE was, Lurie's success in the industry and popularity among wrestling fans made her an outlier. For many, she was the first modern example of a woman being a coveted free agent. When she signed with WWE, it was a big deal. Though, of course, they changed her name and gave her a different character. Mm. And what a character it was. Mickey James, as she was <gasps> now known, showed up as a diehard Trish Stratus fan who became more and more infatuated with her idol, an infatuation that eventually turned into psychotic obsession. The gay panic element of the storyline makes it somewhat uncomfortable to go back and watch today, but James portrayed the character so well, and her wrestling was so good, that when she and Stratus met for the women's title at WrestleMania 22, the crowd in Chicago was mostly cheering for James. 
and they delighted in her victory. It was one of the best matches of either woman's career, and they continued feuding for several months, with James definitively coming out on top and positioning herself as the new face of the women's division. James lost the title to Lita in August of 2006 after a reign of 134 days. A month later, Stratus won the championship for a record-shattering seventh time, making Lita tap out to the sharpshooter in Stratus's hometown of Toronto because Canada. Prior to the event, Stratus and Lita had announced that it would be Stratus's final match with the company, a statement that wasn't technically true, but was basically true. Stratus retired almost immediately after her victory, vacating the championship, and while Lita won the tournament to crown a new title holder, she herself retired three weeks later, losing the belt back to James in her final match. The fact that that match took place at Survivor Series 2006 was appropriate. Until then, Lita had been the last woman standing of the six who had done battle for the title the last time it was vacant at Survivor Series 2001. Five years later, they were all gone, and the departures of Stratus and Lita opened the door for WWE to officially reshape the women's division. WrestleMania 22 was a high point of women's wrestling in WWE, despite everything going on with the storyline. By WrestleMania 23, women's wrestling in WWE had crashed back to Earth, and the damage suffered in its fall would take a decade to repair. And uh, in episode 60, we will come back for the final chapter of women's wrestling history. And uh, two episodes from now, on episode 57... Bob will have some sort of fanfic explaining the concepts that we have discussed. Yeah. Well, it's about time for us to get out of here. But before we go, we have to complete the cheap pop quiz. All right. All right, Bob, currently rolling into this cheap pop quiz with 12 points. Yeah. Which means that if they sweep, if they get every question right, they will receive a bonus episode covering a romance novel of their choice with a guest. Bob, you ready? I am so ready. Fired up? I am. Pumped. Question number one. What happens with Bo Dallas on the next episode? Is it A, JBL gives Bo one more chance to win his NXT job back in a match against Sami Zayn? B, Bo buys a ticket and appears as a member of the audience... And after the title match in the main event, he rushes the ring and steals the NXT championship. C. Bo tries to sneak back into NXT by putting on a luchador mask and a cape, which is the entirety of his disguise. D. Bo appears in multiple backstage segments trying to get wrestlers to sign a petition to bring him back to NXT. Or E. Bo shows up for work like nothing happened, seemingly with no memory of his banishment. I think... The petition. It kind of fits with his thing about his believers sending letters and all that. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. The next episode features, I shit you not, the birth of yet another NXT tag team. Oh my goodness. Which wrestler is getting a new partner? Is it A, Aiden English, B, Wesley Blake, C, Baron Corbin, D, Adam Rose, or E, Mojo Rawley? Um, Baron Corbin? Okay. Although I hope it's Aiden English. Hope it's Aiden English. You are guessing Baron Corbin. Is that right? Yes. And question number three. CJ Parker shows up in the audience again on the next episode, holding one of his signs. 
What animated or partially animated movie with an environmental message does the sign reference? Oh. Is it A, Avatar? B, The Lorax? <laughs> C, Wally? D, Ferngully? Or E, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind? Oh my god. Ferngully just makes the most sense. Okay, Ferngully it is. Not timely, not appropriate, but I just think that's probably what's happening. Okay, well, come back on the next episode to see if Bob got those sweet, sweet points, those last few points that they need to get that romance novel bonus episode. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan, Bob. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Thank you, and thank you to NXT for showing us the extended cut of Bo Dallas leaving. Thank yes. you. Justice for Bo Dallas's extraordinary acting abilities. Absolutely. Bo Dallas is just the best, and we want good things for him at all times. We do. I, um, I want him to show up in like in Impact AEW. I literally shimmer. I don't care. Show up. <laughs> Maybe not shimmer. <laughs> he could be a ref. He could be a ref. That would be okay. He'd be a great shimmer ref, actually. You know who else is the best, Bob? Who? Is our patrons. That's so true. I knew you knew that. I just wanted to like tell you again. It's good to have affirmations in that way. Yeah, it's a stone cold fact. Y'all rule. Yeah, y'all are the best. And one of you in particular is once again, the official best. Yeah. Uh, and that person is Henry, a.k.a. Harry Bumblespike of Bumblespike <gasps> Hall. Oh, I love Harry. And Harry is once again, Bob, the next wrestling fan federation champion. They have dethroned Cosmica. And okay. uh, they once again stand on top of the mountain. How much do you think a morning star played into this fight? Like, not in a mean way, but just in like a Harry Bumblespike put a morning star down on the ground and like Cosmica was doing high flying stuff, didn't notice it in the landing and tripped on it. It was either that or it was one of those like Eddie Guerrero type things where uh, Bumblespike brought out the morning star and the ref was like from across the ring was like, hey, you can't have that. So Harry Bumblespike tossed the Morning Star to the ref who like uh -huh. caught it awkwardly and then turned around to like put it down. And then, <sighs> you know, Harry Bumblespike like kicked Cosmica in the dick or something. Or did a like one of those a DDT on like a thing that you're not supposed to do a DDT on out of there nowhere. are so many things upon which you should not DDT someone. Most things, really. A, a wrestling ring is one of those things. You shouldn't <laughs> DDT people on anything as, apart from, like, a gentle pillow or something. Anyway, thank you so much to uh, Henry. Uh, we're very proud to once again have Harry Bumblespike as our champion. And, uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. And thank you to everybody. Thank you to, to Chuck uh, for being such a great champion for the last few episodes. Yes. And thank you to everybody who, uh, who gives us money to do this extraordinarily stupid podcast that we very much enjoy doing and that we hope you enjoy listening to. I just want to put out there, I've listened to other podcasts. Our podcast is moderately stupid. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note on that note thank you all so much for listening thank you so much for being part of our little family here on the show and uh, we'll see you again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan until we meet again Mwah. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob with logo design by Claire Mulcairin 
Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. That's going to date this podcast remarkably. Look, we've never shied away from that, Bob. (laughs) We have never shied away from being embarrassingly out of date. Much as I have never shied away from giving oral sex, we have never shied away from being embarrassingly out of date. What are you doing? And uh, we'll see you again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Hiya! No, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to end it on that. Okay. Until we meet again. It was like ominous, but also sweet at the end. Absolutely. Like you took the sting off of it with the little kissing noise. But before that, I was really scared. I know. I was like, what if death gave you a kiss on the forehead and was like, you're lovely. Ah!